the incomparable. Number 351, May 2017. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell. I'm here this time to talk about another one of these, this raft of interesting science fiction uh, slash fantasy TV series that finished airing their seasons this spring and that I enjoyed a lot, and I want to talk to people about them. And so what, what I do is I have a podcast, so I get to talk about them with people on a podcast instead of just in real life, like most people. So in this episode, we're going to talk about Humans, a TV series that aired last fall, actually, on Channel 4 in the UK, and this spring on AMC in the US. Uh, We covered season one in episode 263 of The Incomparable, along with the first season of Mr. Robot, actually. Uh, And we're back to talk about season two of Humans. Joining me to talk about it are these two fine gentlemen, Moises Chuyan. Hello. Jason, how may I be of assistance? Thank you, Moises. It's good to have you here. Also here, is he a human or not? Wait a second. That's a, the wrong podcast. It's John Syracuse. Hello. Sometimes the A is upside down. I know. What does that, what does that mean? And, and then it flips around. Is it like a little right. person going, yay, with its arms? And then it puts its arm down like, oh. or Very what? confusing. Yeah. Um, they do that in the credits, too. All the A's flip around. Mm-hmm. They're upside down. They do. and maybe there's a maybe there's something thematic there i don't know so so humans before we fire off the spoiler horn and talk about the second season of humans i thought we would talk a little bit in general about it this show uh this is obviously the second season we did talk about it before the the when it premiered along with mr robot the the summer before last i always thought it was amusing that the show these two shows the show about humans is called mr robot and the show about robots is called humans but um it's you Spoiler know alert. Both shows are actually about humans. Actually about humans. Yeah. Turns turns out. out. Uh it's just it's amazing how that happens. The idea here is that it's a it's a near future world that's basically like ours except that these uh, uh replicant type androids called synths exist. They're very human-like in appearance, which means they can be played by humans as actors. But they are uh, not sentient. They are sort of uh, intelligent enough to do jobs, but they're they're kind of a, a uh, just a, a, almost like a slave race. But they're not sentient. They're just helpers. They're an ex- a human shaped extension of technology. But and this is the classic science fiction. But a few of them become sentient, and it raises all sorts of questions about how they interact in this culture and how their other fellow uh, synths are being treated. There's a question of if you could make all of the synths intelligent, what would happen to society creating an entire race of uh, sentient beings that human has been u- humans have been using just for, for, uh, for servants. Um, and so the first season dealt with a lot of these issues. And then the second season deals with even more of these issues. Um, what, what, uh, what should we say to people who maybe haven't started this show about what makes it interesting? Well, it's a, it's a British show. It is. So, uh, and it takes, it's supposed to take place like in London, right? Is that where they are? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. Um, the, the outlying areas, you know, maybe, I don't know, Essex, I don't uh, who knows? Sure. Yeah. So what I would say to, uh, tell people to check out this show is it sounds like your basic sci-fi show and if it was on american television the premise you just described would be like death you would just know it would be handled poorly but because it's a british show a it does things a little bit differently than you might expect if you're as an american television viewer so there's a little bit of extra you know off kilter flavor to it and b i feel like it is it doesn't fall into most of the traps that every american show that wants to be sci-fi is what was that show that was on briefly there was like a uh like a buddy cop show where the, there was a police officer and well, yeah the almost partner. human almost human, almost human with uh, yeah. with carl urban in the lead right. role that's a great example of a similar ish uh premise handled way worse by an american show so um especially season one we'll get to uh what i thought of season two in a little bit but especially <laughs> season one takes a light touch uh, and really does concentrate on the characters and takes its time to get where it's going, and it's uh, cool and refreshing. 
I, uh, I, I agree. The, the basic premise of the show is an adaptation of, uh, I think it's a Swedish series. It's, it's European in some respect. And, uh, sometimes when it's late at night, uh, my, my brain gets addled and I refer to all European countries as one contiguous union of states. I don't know. Um, in the same way that Jason refers to all British broadcast channels as BBC. BBC something. Yeah. It's BBC four, BBC, BBC ITV, channel four BBC, in this case. Yeah. BBC yeah. sky. BBC uh-huh. Sky. Whatever. That's just the actual sky in England is the BBC Sky as far as I'm concerned. It's usually cloudy. All the great BBCs. All of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, 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 the thing that we get in the first season is a, a different angle than the original show necessarily took where it kind of, it kind of starts out action movie-like in the middle of something and, uh, you know, some stuff's going on. We kind of take, take the gentle approach into this whole series of ideas and concepts and what ifs and questions that play out across the, um, uh, I guess you would say the landscape of two, two different families that are coming together and ripping apart from the inside in different respects. One of them, a suburban type domestic family and the other, a family of synthetics who have become self-aware that are not the kind of, uh, I guess you would say in the classical definition of robot, uh, slave tools, uh, that happen to look, talk, and act in many ways like human beings uh, to the extent that they can be played by British actors who just wear wigs, colored contacts, and adjust their movement slightly. Um, and I, I, you know, I like that they don't draw things out uh, in some respects in the first season. Uh, something that was mentioned back in episode 263 when you guys talked about this and Mr. Robot and thankfully, there are chapter markers. So if for some reason you're not caught up on Mr. Robot, you can just skip straight to the humans bit um, is that is that the the show uh, ended its first season in a way that that is kind of crazy making, but that I'm OK with uh, in in ways that we'll get into after the spoiler horn of season two to an extent. But I'm, I, it's it's a show that has. Uh, such a complexity of multi-threaded storylines going on simultaneously. It's not just that there's an A plot and a B plot. There's an A subheader one, subheader two, subheader three um, series of plots going on that are interwoven and simultaneous, uh, but at once not cheap to the extent of something like 2005 Best Picture winner Crash, where everything just happens to have something to do with everything else. Uh, this, this for me is much more the internet of things is people, um, and grappling with, with what a parallel current modern era would, would do when faced with this stuff in a way that doesn't feel cheap and tacked on and plastic and, uh, thoroughly, thoroughly ruined by, by Americanness, which I, I think is, is a, um, probably me mischaracterizing, but agreeing with with the argument that John had. Um, the other thing that I love about the show, like a lot of BBC ITV, BBC Sky uh, mm. type shows, is that there's a cornucopia of folks that are in the regular cast that, you know, you've got Mr. Grove from the Mr. Selfridge show that we have on PBS here in the States, um, Catherine Parkinson from the IT crowd, uh, Gemma Chan, who has like three lines in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, is is one of the, you know, most, uh, you know, face forward, uh, you know, characters in the show. In season two, we get Carrie Ann Moss from The Matrix. And um, without dipping into the spoiler side of things, one of the things that that I think season two earned is that we we don't just see this uh, technological revolution, as it were, from one side of the Atlantic. We get a look at what's going on in Silicon Valley and the types of people with a gigantic amount of money and not as many morals. Um (laughs) <laughs> and how they are deciding to proceed in this brave new world of sentient AI. Yeah, and I, I'd say, um, jumping on something John said there too about how it doesn't feel, because it's a British show, it feels different. I like that it that about it. That makes it feel like it doesn't have... It doesn't feel like it has high stakes when, in fact, it actually has incredibly high stakes. And it does feel like it is it is a family drama in a lot of ways. Uh, it, it's not set in some sort of future dystopia. It's set in essentially what feels like the present day, except for the science fictional elements. There are a lot of things I like about that. Yeah, it, it does. It doesn't feel like the the new Planet of the Apes movies, but there are similar levels of stakes of, oh, no, what's going to happen? Right. Uh, this this does not. I don't know either does does this not bode well or do we bring this upon ourselves and we're looking at at um at I guess you would say the the alien 
coexistence sort of uh, sort of uh, struggle, but from something that that was really wholly created by ourselves. Well, we should uh, we should probably just fire off the spoiler horn and talk about uh, talk about season two of humans, but I definitely, uh, I think it's on Amazon Prime in the U.S., the first season, so you might want to give it a watch and uh, see what you think of this U.K. take on the questions of sentience and uh, and where these creatures might fit in our society and how, how the existence of these kinds of beings might affect humanity, um, in fact, affect the labor market, which is actually, I think, one of perhaps its more trenchant uh, topics even though most labor is not being replaced by uh, robots walking around looking like humans, it's still an issue of the future of the labor market with automation. So there's a lot of different things it touches on. But we're going to blow up the spoiler horn here and, uh, and dive into a little bit more about season two of Robots. All right, things get really different in season two. Um, there, there. Uh, part of me thinks. I'm wondering what you guys think about this. Part of me thinks that season one was originally conceived with more of an ending. Um, I said on the last podcast, I really felt like season one was walking straight forward until the last episode to make all the sense on the whole planet conscious, and then it very quickly ran away from it at the end of of the last episode. It felt to me as if the whole show realized, wait, we don't want to close off this story because we might come back and do more episodes. And so season two has a little bit of a reset where they kind of have to add in some new storylines and figure out what to do with all the characters. And I think there are parts of that that are problematic, that they struggle with some of it, uh, figure out figuring out what to do. And the irony of it all is that I feel like the last couple of scenes of the last episode of season two are exactly what I thought the last couple of scenes of season one would be with some of the characters mixed around. So they sort of got to that dramatic point anyway. They just decided to put it off a season. Well, on a basic overall outline side of things, I feel that decompression in season two where they either expected uh, season one to maybe get a renewal pickup or they expected that to pretty much be it and just take the check to the bank from AMC, probably spending more of the money on this than Channel 4 did, uh, just because American cable channels, even though you, you compare American cable to American uh, broadcast budgets, and cable has a fraction of the budget that a broadcast show does, um, and, you know, back-end incentives and syndication and all that kind of stuff. Um, but those numbers for cable in terms of what people get paid on the production side of things, the actors, the directors, the writers, everybody, uh, absolutely dwarfs what, uh, what British television production budgets are like, you know, where, where you have someone like Michelle Gomez from Dr. Who, uh, who is like, yeah, we just, we, we just kind of crank through it. You guys, it's great that you guys love these shows so much, but, uh, there is not a ton of money in British TV. And there's a reason that a lot of us find ourselves, uh, wanting to find a big film franchise to attach ourselves to. So as far as I can tell, uh, channel four probably does actually pay the, pay the load of it, especially given that channel four in a much smaller country gets more people watching humans, more people watch humans in the UK than the U S despite the massive disparity in population um and it is made by kudos in the uk so it's probably on their schedules and on their more of their sort of budgets um but even you know a little bit of backing from the u.s it probably has a better budget it it just plain makes it something that can be done and instead of the british shows that'll do two seasons and be done they're suddenly going well it looks like we can stretch this out a bit and as much as i enjoyed season two it felt like it felt like creating additional runway to not run out of. And, um, and uh, all, I mean, the, just the, there, there's, there's a bunch of cool dramatic stuff that happened throughout the course of season two and a lot of cool character stuff that happened. But I, I hated that I, I enjoyed the wrap up of season two as feeling more satisfying because it felt like what we should have seen at the end of season yeah. one in terms of progressing the story along. And they probably could have done this whole show in like two six or eight episode seasons and covered all of the ground that they wanted to cover. But it's, you know, inserting new characters, inserting additional plot lines, inserting more supporting casts that are, that are conscious synths. And that that's, that that's kind of the struggle that I found myself with um, uh, when it comes to season two. Could be like Friday night lights, right? Friday night lights where (laughs) you can just skip 
season two and pretend it never happened to just literally stitch the last episode of season two onto season one and be mm-hmm. like, and yeah. all the sense woke up. Yay. Yeah. It's like, hey, guess what? Okay. You've, you've watched none of this. By the way, Carrie Ann Moss is here and she has uh, her daughter's consciousness or a backup version of it uploaded into a bunch of servers. And also there is a synth who became conscious. And now the final episode of season two is like a slasher movie. And most of season two <laughs> yeah. really comes off like a horror show. I do like the idea that not all the synths are gentle and that there is this psychopath synth who is who is she's lo- acting logically, but she does not care about killing people or being violent. I, but I want to talk about Carrie Ann Moss because this is one of those things at first there's part of me that's like, is this the American co-producer saying let's get some American characters in the show? Uh, because she's American, we start out and she's in California at a at a Google like company where there's a there's a, a, a charismatic CEO who's a wonderkind and he's got ideas about AI and he's hired her to to uh, to get, finally give her the money she needs to further her project. And at the beginning of the season, I was really intrigued by that storyline because the idea there is that she has this AI in a computer, and I really liked the 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 reflection there the opposition there of we have we know there's ai it's happened emergently in these synths out in the world and then here we have a researcher who's trying to build ai in a computer completely different tactic and technique and i i was really intrigued about how that might interact and it is one of the aspects of season two that I think ended up being kind of a failure. There are some emotional notes in there, but I feel like in terms of the themes of the show, it didn't really challenge me to think about the overarching themes of intelligence and responsibility. It ended up being much more about a mother who's grieving over the loss of her child and trying to replace them in artificial intelligence. And I felt like the all that we really got in terms of interacting with the synths was this sort of haphazard attempt to put the AI in a synth body, but it was never really clear. And it was ultimately, you know, it's sort of like that storyline just kind of got snipped at the end. There's one final confrontation. Carrie Ann Moss puts a, you know, puts the plant on her desk in a box and walks out of the building. And that's the end. And it was, that was disappointing because I really thought that this was uh, an interesting opportunity to view the synth's intelligence in a different light. And in the end, sort of nothing came of it. I mean, maybe something will come of it in a future season, but I, since the AI is now like out on the internet in on servers in China or something, but that felt much more like they were just sort of sweeping it under the rug and and getting back to their original story and making me wonder why we even had that yeah. plot line. Next season, next season, uh, a, pl- a subplot line with Michelle Yeoh set in Hong Kong and yeah. scooping up some. It'll be a co-production Chinese with Chinese TV. Line. Yeah, exactly. John, what do you think yeah, of the like, of that? Like, so the that AI. I mean, it was introduced pretty early in the season, and I was also kind of excited to see it. But but as soon as it appeared, I realized very early on in season two something that would bug me for the entire season, which is season one uh, did the thing that you know first seasons of shows like this do, or at least the good ones do, is like they don't tell you the whole condition of the world right away. You know, it right. just go, goes about its story. And soon you learn there are these things called synth and you learn, well, how do these synths work? Who has them? What, what do they do? And like, as the episodes progress, more and more of the world is revealed to you. So you're, you know, because it looks kind of like now, but it's not quite like now. And so it takes its time over the course of season one, showing you, revealing its world to you and revealing all these different interactions. And then by the end, you kind of have a reasonable picture of it. And then the season ends season two, we more or less know how the world works. And for me personally, since I'm such a annoying stickler for this type of stuff <laughs> in sci-fi, um, I was free then to, you know, you're not going to be revealing anything new about the world. We even learned all about, like, uh, what's his name, Elster or whatever, like, in his whole family. Like, we we know all that backstory. We know right. the current situation. We know all the parameters. And that left my brain free to think about, unfortunately, the... The, the I don't know I don't have a good name for it but like the the sci-fi thing that I harp on all the time where if this is possible what would that what else would also be possible yeah pa- Pandora's box is already open why is it not wreaking more havoc than we've got so far yeah or even, not even for the AI thing so like or, or for the for the synth conscious thing for the AI specifically their premise in the beginning is that Carrie Ann Moss is working on this thing and she's got this AI and and uh, you know so on and so forth and it's like uh, the the pitch of like the you know the Mark Zuckerberg uh, surrogate dude it's like hey come to our company we'll give you the more resources your AI can't be contained we'll give you a bigger server farm and so on and so forth and it's like 
All right, listen. We already know that non-conscious synths, not the conscious ones, but the plain old non-conscious ones are already smarter and more capable than this stupid grass computer thing. And you need a whole <laughs> server farm? You can't fit it? You need a bigger server farm and you can't get your stupid in-computer AI to work? The regular run-of-the-mill, you can go to the store and buy one non-conscious since they're smarter and they fit inside a single package and you charge them every night. So yep. I don't see how that fits in your worldview. And yes, I was also looking for an interaction between the disembodied AI and the body AI, but that totally switched gears into a mother-daughter thing. And by the way, I had my first kind of like Harrison Ford effect thing with Carrie Ann Moss because when they first showed the scene of like when just showing the flickering memories of her with, uh, you know, her daughter at the waterfall and everything, I totally thought that was her girlfriend because in my view, oh. Carrie Ann Moss is the age she was in The Matrix. And so there's other actors <laughs> with her. It's like, oh, it's like when you see Harrison Ford with like someone who was half his age, you're like, oh, that works perfectly. I'm just used to seeing that. Well, when I saw Carrie Ann Moss with this 20 year old girl, I'm like, you know, they, it must be his, her girlfriend. No, it was her daughter. It's her daughter. But I, I, I literally visually can't compute Carrie Ann Moss as not being the age she is in the you, Matrix. You so. saw a time displacement paradox where there was none. Yeah, but but anyway, the the tech the tech comparisons of the AI stuff really harped, uh, bothered me. I accepted that because again, I expected them to go a place they didn't go, and that's one of the things that frustrated me is that I was thinking because we we we're introduced to her and she's this amazing you know researcher who's at the forefront of AI research, and she's finally going to be well funded and she's going to break this thing right. Except we as viewers know. It's done. It already happened. It happened naturally. It happened emergently um, with, you know, with the help of this this code that that uh, what Elster was working on. It's like we know that they made a breakthrough and the, the synths can be smart. We don't need giant servers to do it. So I kept thinking it's like, oh, I, I think I actually said, oh, lady, you are about to be really disappointed, right? Like, oh, my life's work. And then this happens. And I thought that would be interesting drama. Like she's trying to trying to revive her daughter. She has has been thinking of AI as coming from this direction. It's come from this different direction. What is she going to do? Can she adapt? Can, is she going to make a new kind of of synth AI that is different in some way? Like I was ready for that kind of clash, mm. and there is it just isn't there. There's nothing there. But but like I said, I don't think it's the consciousness. It's the non conscious synths, the regular ones that just bring you your well, drinks, yeah. the sort of tool ones. Those are smarter than her yeah. AI because her AI is like trying to talk to her. What do you think of this? How do you feel about it? And it's, the thing is like a toddler, whereas the, the non conscious ones, I don't know you can talk to like an adult and they can they can navigate the world and have bodies and can do chores and laundry. We and can argue. I'd say it's differently intelligent because she's trying to replicate like a human with all these memories and all of this and kind of have them grow up and yeah. and, and all of that. Spread, but, across, spread across a gigantic amount of virtual machines using yeah. contemporary contemporary level uh processors and so on whereas the synth technology is is that like it's, unobtainium it's kind of thing where they have mm, this neural right. network that's on par with data from star trek yeah I, like it seemed like they're it seemed like from different shows they just seemed like they were from yeah. different shows well, and like, that's and that's why i i expected it to be a, a rude awakening for her where mark zucker would be like forget this server crap <laughs> well, she, look the synths the, can do it she doesn't know what's going on in the uk she's just been toiling away in california and has no idea oh by the way in UK, they have like literal, like you know, intelligent robots wandering around. Not the conscious ones. Again, the conscious ones forget it. The conscious ones are just yeah. like, and here's it, that's a, that's another thing about the show, right? The pitch of the show, and which has to be the pitch of the show, is that the sentient conscious synths are greater than, better than, more intelligent than, more sophisticated than the non-conscious ones, right? But. I actually don't see much evidence mm. for that. They are more human-like, but I'm not entirely sure that anything in the show actually supports the idea that they are they are yeah. more than. You might be Just right. Just because they are more like, you know, because they react more like humans and they have quote-unquote feelings, but the other ones are very good at reading people and understand when you're upset and they do the stupid thing where they where they voice I can tell you are upset because your heart rate and blah which is stupid but it shows that they have perhaps a greater understanding of humans than the conscious ones do and in terms of feeling like they have directives they're just they're just not human like so we can't relate to them and they they act robotically and talk robotically but in general they can do everything we can do and they can understand our thoughts and feelings and suggestions, perhaps in a way that's better than humans. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm too much on the robot side here. John, like, did this season of humans make you distressed? How can I help? 
Well, I was rooting for Niska to kill everybody a lot in both season one <laughs> yeah. and two, so I don't know. I don't know if I'm on the right side of this show. Like, I, I have this, this, this. Uh, I, I had the same kind of anticipatory interest in what was going on at the Carrie Ann Moss thread, where it was, it was almost built like this um, self-aware AI classic monster narrative like frankenstein's monster kind of thing of you've opened the door doing this and what are the consequences of doing that and that's kind of how her plot line ended up playing out where she tempted fate by taking zucker jerks money and resources and access and everything and the dominoes kept falling to an extent but it just it, it didn't quite catch fire and i was I was getting bored with it, and I wanted to be more and more excited about the level of of danger and uh, and suspense that was in it. And there was progressively less and less of that as the as the season ended up going on. And at the same time, I had I had this thought of uh, along the lines of what John's saying, where these synths who become aware uh, and and have emotions and everything, it's like the first few minutes of the episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation when Data has emotions and all of a sudden he's not quite as efficient and powerful and great because he's compromised by having to uh, compensate for these emotions that he's not used to dealing with, these urges, these feelings, these things that distract him. And I don't feel like the show did... I, I, well, I, I do and I don't. There, there were moments where I felt like they played it really well with the various self-conscious synths that did have uh, those those sorts of crises, but then others were just kind of dippy and stupid and distracted. Yeah. And if anything, it seemed like giving them that self-awareness, giving them that consciousness, if anything, made them radically less capable of the rise of the planet of the synths kind of thing that we kind of thought we were going to get at the end of season one. They're sort of kind of teasing at the end of season two or yeah. season two ended up playing with different versions of where it was we are going to lead our soldiers from their prison and we will take over this world and they will know fear and like x-men villain lines um but i i just i i don't know that I, if 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 they are going to play that the way that it seems they are which is that it's more of a liability than an advantage and this this brings me back to some of the stuff in the magicians about getting rid of your shade and not feeling your trauma not feeling post-traumatic stress not feeling any of that kind of stuff not having to deal with it viewing that as a distraction maybe maybe that's that's pretty much the the reverse that they have set up as the conditions of this world that having those kinds of emotions is something that is way more of a liability than anything else and if that's the case then what are they doing in season three well they kind of infantilize the synths some of the synths make them be like the you know sort of scared toddlers or whatever but in order for them to have that uh robots kill all humans story there have to be ones that are different than that the ones that have ambition and uh, and are more sophisticated levels of thought. Like it, it's it's strange. They try to they actually you know put a pin on it in this thing of saying you're just like humans. Some of you are nuts, and some of you are uh, dummies. And you know like there is a lot of variety. You got like Max, who's always smiling and looks dumb, but has like you know wisdom and emotional intelligence. And you've got the Elster kid, who's just a jerk and doesn't know what the heck he's doing. And you've got psychopath lady Hester, and you've got Niska, who's I think the most identifiable as as an adult, intelligent, thinking human who kind of sees what at stake, what's at stake, has the wherewithal to do something about it. Maybe conflicted about going one way or the other, but actually acts like a human. And then the other ones that wake up, like they never seem to get out of toddler phase. Um, and so it's not, you know, I, I appreciate that they're trying to show that there's a variety, but if they're gonna have since versus using humans round one in the next season. It's going to be a little messy. It's not going to be like a Westworld kind of, not even a Westworld kind of like semi-organized revolt of some kind. Yeah. The superior beings versus inferior beings. It seems a lot more messy than that, which, which may be appropriate. Well, um, the, the, the big revelation at the end of the episode of uh, the last episode and, and something that I kind of liked was there is a, there is an enjoyable speech um, that Laura gives to Hester, the, um, the murderous synth that, and I, I really liked it because it is the show just laying down all its cards at that moment. Um, and she says, um, you're not, you're, you're not something different. Cause she's very much like we're different and you have to respect us. And you know, we're going to, we're going to be here and, and I'm going to kill people and it's going to be great. And, and she's like, 
we didn't make a new race. We made artificial humans, but you're humans. You have the same problems and the same she said she says like if you were a human you would be diagnosed for your for your uh, mental illness that you have and for the problems you had when you started life you, you are humans the synths are not an alien race they're just a different kind of person and we can we can debate whether the text of the show actually bears that out or not but i feel like that is actually what the what the what the producers have been arguing kind of all along which is you know this is not the science fictional emergence of a global super intelligent robot yeah it is thing. a skynet awakening it's not it, it's just what it turns out these are people too they're just like us except artificial but they're just like us and they have all the same problems that we do they're just in artificial bodies maybe a little dimmer than we are though like i said maybe. maybe they're just like us except we, i mean arguably it makes sense because they're 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 literally younger like they're not that many years exactly old. they don't have a childhood to go through but i mean but again for the show to be able to make progress on any kind of plot you have to have some of them be essentially adults like you know intelligent knowledgeable emotionally sophisticated adults the first wave is 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 more and they try to show some of that in the first episode of the second season where they show the awakening of some new characters and you you get that sense that like they're really kind of out to see and we see it with Odie when Odie gets upgraded which i I, again it was nice to see him because i liked the bittersweet uh nature of the william hurt storyline from season one at the same time they kind of didn't really use him it was just sort of like we could bring him back i I was hoping he was going to go to the priest and decide you know what you're right father kill all humans like (laughs) like he was trying to arrive he was like he he was obviously conflicted he doesn't really know where his place is and he's trying to decide in the end he he decides to go in the other direction just you know off himself back to robotsville because he can't handle the pain of being alive which is fine but like (laughs) but him not understanding like not quite sure what i could do like and yeah a lot of interesting plot lines that just kind of didn't go anywhere. The other one that really, really uh, chapped my whatever is that expression is, um, which is a classic sci-fi thing, which I don't know if there's any Star Trek episodes. You guys can tell me, the experts, um, <laughs> the trial. do this, but, but certainly there are a million other ones. You've got, yes, you've got Niska, and she turns oh. herself in because it's her move to do. Let's see if you are conscious. You can do just the whole season with that is the A yeah. plot and be super interesting and they just left it all on the table just a lost all opportunity on the table like the few scenes they had of like the, of their interrogators like how much are you paying for these lawyers because they are terrible They're on really, both sides yeah. like they have never they've never read a sci-fi book in their life what are you even doing yeah i mean one of the most iconic episodes of the next generation is called the measure of a man where mm-hmm. captain picard basically defends the humanity of data uh, or actually, no, he, 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 he argues against it and Commander Riker has to, has to defend data. And it is, that's it the is other way around. Those, no, it's, yeah, okay. Riker it's prosecutes data. Picard says, no, no, he's sentient. And it, it so is. So the important yeah. thing is a bald guy and a guy with a beard, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, duel in a courtroom over the sentience of an artificial human. And here it's women in suits. Yeah. What, what could be a more, like, that has been done so many times I in know, sci-fi. Right? It's the core of so many sci-fi stories. And you can, like, just, if you just copied what other people did, you can do it well. And they would just seem so uninterested in in what makes us conscious or alive. Yeah, that they it's, just, it's, 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 let's throw this giant pile of red herring on a table and then just sweep it all back into the bay. I was so excited to have that be one of the plot lines i thought this is really like early on the season this is really going good we got carrie ann moss in this clash and she's gonna be you know rude awakening that her research is wasted because the you know the sense was the the answer and then we got the the legal thing and the the legal thing yeah it it is a rich storyline to even if the ultimate result is the same which is the powers that be have got their thumb on the scale and they're just not going to let this happen you could have still explored this is what the show's about right it's exploring issues of what is he, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to have rights? This is this is uh, you could there are political ramifications to storytelling like this. There's so much you could do with this that makes for good science fiction. And instead, it, they like get to the point where it's ready for the good stuff to happen, and then mm-hmm. nothing nothing it happens because instead they're like, let's have a conversation with Niska the the the, the artificial right. Like they just like ask you some questions. Oh, let's bring your girlfriend, and it's like, what are you even doing with this? Like both both sides were not able to prosecute their case. It's worse than that. It's it's literally we're going to hook her up to a lie detector. Well, she has no bodily functions, <laughs> right? So we're going to show her pictures of scary things. It, oh, I mean, like, like the showing the scary pictures, like that you can't be conscious. It was like maybe she's just a psycho. 
<laughs> like wait, maybe she, like you as if you're just trying to ju- and no so, and no legal so arguments terrible. right there are no legal yeah. arguments made and, am i was i completely wrong in like reading this kind of there's some sort of shadowy government conspiracy thing going on there's some person behind like no it's just the, it's the powers that be don't w- want this the government just want to get rid of this dangerous machine well it felt if it, it felt like they were teasing that there was that kind of person behind the curtain kind of thing but then none of that even happened no i think it, i i mean i think they were saying all along that that they could make this argument but in the end there's just no way it's going to happen because humans aren't ready for this yeah, and, and that's how if they had done it well they would have had them do the argument and it would have been a right? really good argument and you would maybe some people <sighs> yeah. would come away feeling that they've proved their case and maybe some people would feel they wouldn't but in the end it won't matter because like jason said it, the fix was in uh and that's fine that would have been a fine way to end it they just skipped the whole middle the whole part middle right to the end. that could have been good drama yeah, it's a, it's a real shame. This encapsulates so much of, of where I'm this like giant bundle of knots about this show where I, I feel like I'm a pile of contradictions where I love so much of what they do. And then I find myself going, wait, why did they not do that? And <laughs> the counterpoint to I, that I have to this specific thing is, if anything, it feels like it feels like this entire season is symbolically playing with the notion of they they have awoken and they are going through a version of of self-conscious uh, uh, puberty. And this is like the adolescent stage of their awakening. And that's why so many things that that could go the mature, hard sci-fi route of, you know, mature thought and all that kind of stuff gets thrown out the window because the the synths that have emotions decided every turn to be petulant teenagers and go, no, we're going to burn everything down and there's going to be a revolution and we're going to rule the world and we're going to friggin' kill them. And so, yeah, and 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 it feels like they didn't commit enough to that if that's what they were trying to get across. Well, they were mostly just trying to save themselves. Like their main thrust of the little band of, you know, the party of since until the very end was like, we know since they're waking up, we need to protect them because it's a hostile world. And that slowly transformed into like, well, the only way to protect them is to, you know, find the people who are getting them and the people who are kidnapping them. We should probably kind of kill them all. And then, you know, it was it was building up to it. Also, I expected, I mean, to your point, Moises, I expected Max, who is one of my favorite characters. He's so friendly and smiley and he's the very nice synth. And I expected I expected him to be. Yeah, I expected it to be Max in opposition to Hester, right? Where it's like, no, peace and love, and we're all going to be fine, and we're going to take care of each other and kill all humans, right? <laughs> Max just bails. He's like, I'm not hanging out with this psycho. They, they set up that fracturing of the synth family, and then they didn't do anything. No, yeah. again, a missed opportunity where Max just sort of lives on a train that's in a railroad mm-hmm. car somewhere he, in a station. He helps, he helps some synths out, and then he just waits for the other people to come back to him. Yeah, I, I just, again, it's just it's just kind of baffling, because that's another, another point of drama. What did you think... Of the of the plot with with Rini, the girl who acts oh, like a synth, God, and then the daughter the, who tries to act like a synth. They they did not they maybe it's not possible to do, but I certainly think they did not do a good enough job of explaining why the heck people would do this. Like I know they want this to be a thing. Like oh, and by the way, some people pretend to be synths, right? Why? Why do they bring it to do it? I, I know I know somebody who in high school she was a huge Harry Potter fan and she would literally wear like a Gryffindor cape to school and do a fake English accent because she just wanted to live in the world of Harry Potter and she was a Harry Potter super fan and she was a weird kid. Right, but why does someone want to be a synth? Because they suck. Well, I think I think Rini Rini is is very much like she's got lots of problems at home, and she, this is like her way of escaping that she gets yeah, to suppress yeah. her so, emotions. So maybe and, for a, a, an individual character, you might have a reason, but the, the pitch on the show is that this is a thing. Yeah, that it's, it's not a subculture. Just Rini, it's like grunge. This is a thing. Like pretend synth is the new grunge. I don't no, get. That. I don't think that it's attractive enough to be a subculture, and certainly I don't see much of an explanation for poor Sophie to be into it. Yeah. Like, like, they do it as, as a dramatic thing. So we're like, oh, what should we do about Soph? Oh, it's like, why? What's what's Soph's motivation to do this, right? I don't, it doesn't, it just didn't connect to me. And, I mean, here's the other thing. When they're on the screen, one thing they could have done is played up the aspect that, uh, played up the idea that people pretending to be synths are annoying. Because they sure annoyed me. Yeah. Like, stop it. You're not a synth. And so they should have shown, shown them annoying other people and being abused for pretending to be synths. I, I still think that would have required you to buy into the idea that, that, that it is a, there is a reason that a large number of people want to be synths, which I didn't buy into. But at the very least, like, what I'm getting to is every time they were on screen pretending to be synths, I was like, stop it. I didn't like Sophie pretending to be synths. I didn't like how the family was handling it. I didn't like the friend pretending to be synths. It was all like 
Being a synth is no freaking fun. It's not as fun as being Harry Potter. It's stupid, and I didn't like that subplot at all. I, I have a, I have another thing about this subplot that bothers me, which is there are several moments when they're talking about this that I, I, I said to myself, is this meant to be a, a, a metaphor for people being trans? Because there are several moments where they're like, oh, well, you need to, you know, respect her, her, her pronouns, her identification. basically. Yeah, I, man, I could not agree with you more on this. Like, that, that, w- that was what really skeeved me out about and, it. And, it. and that bugged me because I, then I would analyze it and go, but it's not. This isn't like that at all. Yeah, because in the <laughs> end, the, the, they have her, you know, go and take a bath and take off all her stuff. It's starting to say, oh, they'll all snap out of it the, eventually. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, yeah. eventually Billy is going to stop wearing dresses and Deciding that he wants to be a girl, even though yeah, it's Billy just, it's just has a phase that they're fleeing the fact that, that Billy is now Sally. Yeah, they didn't, I don't think they leaned on it that hard. And I think, I mean, I, I certainly was rooting for Rini to snap out of it because what she was doing was stupid and had nothing to do with anything else. But you know, if the, if that's what they were actually trying to pitch it as, that's awful. Well, you're supposed if, to hate if, the you know. the. I mean, the fact that the su- that the son like set like really disrespects her, and I, I felt like those were moments that are very much like he's he's basically like dead naming her. He is he is challenging yeah. her pronouns he is treating right, but, her wrong that's not it, 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 he wins in the end he's uh, like yeah, that's right we're just gonna hang out on the couch and watch tv and you'll be human again and yay everything is normal uh, yeah and you're gonna conform you're gonna conform to what makes him comfortable not it, right. yeah, it, it, it's it's uh, you know uh, people people hate the p-word problematic and oh gosh you know can we please stop catering to everybody and affirmative actioning everything but but the the problematic nature of it for me is that when i started to feel like wait a minute is this is this some writers deciding that they're going to do a trans metaphor and then it, it brought me back into thinking about something that I constantly think about watching a bunch of sci-fi shows, you know, Star Trek even being one of them as progressive as Star Trek is. There is so much ethnic othering that is in the way that they characterize alien races where you've got Klingons with Fu Manchu beards mm-hmm. and, and there, there, there was that kind of icky feel to the way that they were they were trying to metaphorically play these synths of varied races and genders as metaphors for uh for uh, for uh, you know slavery is just something that you get with robots because that's that's part of how they're set up where the word comes from that's that's part of why this was such a problem because uh, i there is not a massive trend of people across the earth pretending to be slaves because that is not an attractive proposition other, you know, outside weird, you know, sex stuff or whatever. Like, yeah, outside of people in in full body latex suits being walked like a dog across the street. Yeah, but that's different. You know what I mean? Like, like literal, actual American style slaves. Like, no one wants to be that because it's not a fun thing to be. No one wants to be. No one would want to be a synth to the degree that it would be a widespread thing. One or two people have serious mental problems and use it as like a, a you know to hide from their like. A difficult family situation or whatever fine but to, to be like everyone just knows that's a th- thing and like you know yeah. one in five people in your school are pretending to be synths they're they wouldn't want to pretend to be synths it's it's boring it's not yeah, there good. was there was new wave and there was punk <laughs> and then there was synths. so here's the thing no. that's the real missed the real missed opportunity here is is when they do this whole thing with Rini and she takes off her out of you know off her her contact lenses and she's just sitting on the couch is the real shame of it is what I wanted to have happen because I think it would be an interesting thing to see how characters would process it is all the people who acted like synths in order to take away emotion and seem less human how do they deal with the fact that all of a sudden all the synths have feelings and are just as human as us and like what does that what does that mean that you your identity that you were trying to emulate is now gone and they're like you i think is actually might be kind of interesting but we don't get there either because they cut that storyline off and resolve it and it's kind of uncomfortable um i'm trying to i'm trying to think of things i liked i I actually enjoyed the second season but i was really frustrated by it i felt like they didn't like whether it wasn't well planned or whether they had some ideas and then realized halfway through that they just weren't working. It just seems like, or, or whether it really was one season worth of story and then they kind of had to invent a second season. Well, um, it, honestly, it feels like they had that first season of tight, a lot of really good stuff, a lot of really well thought out, well planned stuff. And then they had 
a bunch of like when we go around in drafts and it's like bring out your dead, they had this bring out your dead box of stuff that people scribbled on note cards of, oh, you know, what would be cool is if like the little girl in the family decides that she wants to pretend that she's a synth like Mia slash Anita. That would be neat. Let's find a way to work that. Yeah, in. they wrote down a bunch of story ideas, but they didn't they yeah, didn't go let, anywhere. Let's build a whole subplot into that. Let's like there there's there are conscious synths that are introduced in season two that seem like they have the beginning of a hook and then they're anything uh, they are nothing if not just throwaway characters that are just window dressing yeah they had so many characters in the show like i don't know you know season one introduced a ton of characters right and and i think i think most of the actors do do a good job with what they're given in this and most of them are likable in some way but in season two i almost kind of wish that rather than introducing yet more characters that they had shed them because yeah. the, the thing i liked most about season two was seeing the characters that i'd come to know and and love from season one i love niska i would like to see what niska gets up to all the time i like mia i right? loved niska when she wasn't in the middle of the stupid stupid uh legal plot i really loved niska i yeah. love niska's i think the scenes with her and her girlfriend in yeah, berlin like are beautiful they're beautiful and sad and and wonderful and they fall in love and niska has to figure out how she's going to react and mm-hmm. how she's going to tell yeah. her that's beautiful i liked the um let's see i i, I liked these the plot with um with the police woman uh, I thought yes, that was yes, I like, that I, I like yeah. uh, Karen uh, with her with her boyfriend uh, and, and and her crisis of confidence that she has where she almost like regrets him knowing that she's right. a synth because she, exactly. she likes pretending even though, even to be human. He her. Yeah. yeah, that was yeah, fascinating and, and, and like tough. And the, the, the thing I love so much about Pete, her boyfriend, is that he is like stereotypical english cop yeah he's just on his beat he's trying to do his job like a real cop he knows synth or not he knows he's batting way out of his league oh yeah <laughs> it's another schlubby guy and beautiful woman scenario on tv he he looks like a, a ricky gervais who is actually focused on acting and and doing well what he can do well rather than being ricky gervais and really like digging deep into the character and playing it for for everything and letting everything count and his death, honestly, for me, landed in a, in a way that didn't feel like fridging. That is, you know, where, where we see characters killed off on shows for the sake of advancing the plot, motivating heroes, that kind of thing. You know, it, it felt earned and it didn't feel like something that I was expecting the whole way going forward. It managed to surprise me and we could have lost more than him. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, so I, there's all the characters that I like and then there's a whole swath of people who I just am not interested in anymore. Like a lot of them. Yeah. Right. Or, or, or plots. Hobb came back from season one, one of the big bad types of season one, uh, who a lot of people would probably best know if they actually saw Alien 3 as one of the pivotal characters in Alien 3 fantastic actor it was great getting to see him for a moment there you know there there were there were some of those kind of like brief things josie lawrence a comedian plays the synth therapist um who i remembered from the original british version of whose line is it anyway hilarious brilliant comedian hob is hob's scene is great too because they bring him back for one scene he's like look i signed an nda i can't help you go talk to this person and then he's gone that's it (laughs) It, yep. well, he's, he's gone. She's like, I'm staying here. If you want a big pile of money and a vacation home, yep. and never be seen again on and the show. And guess what? He doesn't because he never contacts her again. That's right. Yep. Like that I was totally on board with. But it's like we're getting toward the end of the second season. And they're like, by the way, Max needs a girlfriend. We're going to introduce Max's girlfriend. <laughs> the kindergarten so, teacher and, and yeah, all, all, all and, the people on the train. And, and, and Leo and just like introducing Hester. It's just like there was just too much. And Mia's weird side plot with her guy who she works for, who she kind of falls in love with, but not quite. And then he betrays her. Like there was just too that many didn't go anywhere. parts. And like yeah. you concentrate on, on like concentrate on the five characters that I care about the most. I'm not saying you have to have one. Like it's possible you know, the, the maximum number of characters you can get me interested in and have their own plot lines was really lost, really pressed the boundaries of that. Like how many characters yeah. can you have and sustain it so that they care about them? And I think humans had too many for the very least this writing staff yeah, to be able to, to, to work through. And, but everybody got a story. Everybody got a thing. And they felt like we're doing a great job. Everyone's got their little arcs, but some of them were dumb. Uh, Tom, Tom Goodman Hill, who plays Mr. Grove on Mr. Selfridge and plays a similar kind of, jerk dad on the show um he got to like come out as as being like you know what i banged the one synth last season and turns out i want to like move to the the sleepy british town version of like rhodesia uh that is 
quote unquote racist against synths. And he has such an understanding wife because the way she, oh uh, how she doesn't look at him and say, you're an idiot and I'm out of here. How she stays with him, I don't quite understand. It's like he kind of means well, but he like, he stews and is like, that's it. I'm taking my family and going to non-synthville. And if you disagree, I'm divorcing you. It's like, get, get the hell out of here, dude. Also, you were, you were the guy who got laid off from his job in the factory. She's the successful attorney. Right. And he's giving her crap about, oh, you're going to go to work again? Oh, well, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's important. I know you got to go to your work. It's like, come on. Yeah. Like, uh, she, is, she is too understanding. I really like the wife. And, but, uh-huh. and that's the other thing. Like, they had the plot the first season with the tension between the two of them. And they said, you know what? Let's do that again for season two. Have him be angry about the fact that she has to go to work. Yeah, <laughs> like come on. Yeah, let, let's stretch out this this uh, fraught relationship just for the sake of knowing. Well, we're probably going to get X number of seasons out of this thing, so let's just yeah keep that going for as long as and we got to worry about and, Soph, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like us all talk yeah. about what we're going to do about Soph, and then the son the son has the love subplot with Rini, and Soph is just does her her stupid thing, and uh, what's her name the. The daughter gets to be a computer hacker. Well, that's hero, what I was going to cool. say. Meanwhile, like, their daughter is their older daughter is a computer genius who has solved slash solved the problem slash ended the world. Yay! Yeah, she's saving slash destroying the world. One of those two. She's definitely doing it. She is. I want to follow her because she's doing interesting stuff. Maddie, she's great. Yeah. She's my favorite character. I think because uh, certainly among the humans, because she has compassion for the humans. She has compassion for her family, although she stands it removed from both. And she's really smart. And 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 I like that when she gets cross examined by the uh the murderous synth hester she like hester really wants to have a reason to kill her and and she's like you know <laughs> totally believable she's like no i'm on your side i believe in you i believe in all of you and it's like she's a good person and she's going to make this this revolution happen if in the end she sort of like gets that last word of like yes you go ahead and do it i you, you should do it and she presses return on her little surface keyboard and off we go to the races everybody's going to become conscious uh, you know i really like that character there there are but you're right john for every minute that we get of maddie we get you know a couple of minutes of mia's ne'er-do-well like diner owner boyfriend that she commits tax fraud with and then he we don't care about it's like he he can't fill out forms he needs a robot to do it for him like another winner yeah i'm not i'm not even saying that we have to have just a strictly like abc plot structure we can go abcde f even but this is an abcde fghijklmno plot show where there are so many different threads dangling all over the place it's it's almost like they're just thrown against the wall to distract us from the fact that they're they just happen to kind of dovetail into each other. And I find myself again, it's it's like this. I I enjoyed season two, but I kind of hate myself for enjoying it as much as I think that I did, because I, I feel like I I just got I got distracted into watching the show and being like, well, I guess I got to keep watching this because Niska is going to be back in about 15 minutes. Probably. I like the setting. I like the actors. I like a lot of the stuff that's in the show. And that's enough to get me to watch it and and enjoy it and even say that I think I think it's unlike so many shows on TV that it's worth a watch. But that doesn't mean that I didn't find it incredibly frustrating and that they and, and, you know, this is the shame of it. If this was a bad show. I would just write it off and be like, well, they don't know what they're doing. It's yeah. bad. What's frustrating is all of these like missed opportunities could have probably been good if they had ch- taken a few of them and done them better. But instead, they just kind of pour them all in the blender. And like, that's my disappointment in the show is that it could be way better. And they just kind of they kind of blew it. I, I still watched it all and will watch the third season of it. But boy, it could have been so much better. And they just kind of and they just kind of kind of blew it. I think one of the structural things that makes this season, like what you were talking about, about the the threads and like how it doesn't hold together, is like, and season one had the same number of characters, right? It's because, and again, getting back to Lost, who also had a huge number of characters, but managed to sustain interest in them, is that I, I one way that I've seen successfully to do this in both season one of Humans and Lost is to have a central mystery. You got your 17 bazillion people, but the central mystery of season one is hey, what's the deal with these conscious synths? And we eventually learn what the deal is and about their creator and where they came from and why they're conscious and and the son who's still alive who's half a synth. Like, the central mystery weaves them together. What's the central mystery of season two? There is none. There's just a bunch of stuff going off in different directions and we eventually arrive at the all the synths waking up, but there is no central mystery that is slowly revealed through the actions of other people who eventually come together. There's none of that. There's so many different stories and stuff that are going on and they seem like kind of vignettes not like a threads all coming together to reveal something in the end. 
it's something that if if this were a quote unquote traditional 22 episode a season American show, I would already be checked out. Yeah. But the fact that we're getting a season arc of story and if they end up doing five seasons of eight episodes a piece and we end up with 40, uh, you know, 45 minute episodes of this show, I'll end up sticking with it more readily than I will a show that is killing itself to stretch out to five seasons of 22 episodes that you know lost lost is lost and lost happened at a very particular time i miss lost lost happened during college for me and i didn't get on board the train and streaming didn't exist and look technology was really weird back then kids <laughs> um but it, it was it was something that that was just a thing that people did and it is really difficult to capture that magic in a bottle and i'm i'm totally fine looking at going okay the first three seasons worth of this show is going to be roughly the same number of episodes as one season of an american show that is spinning its wheels like crazy and this one at the very least as incredibly scattershot as all of it is it's all still at least moving forward so i find myself forgiving it way way more readily than i do (laughs) You know, a 13-episode show on Netflix that should be half that order. I, I didn't realize this was such short seasons because this, this seemed longer to me. You just said it doesn't feel like it's spinning in his wheels. But, you know, really, it's, it's just eight episodes, right? Season two yeah. was eight episodes. Both it seasons. felt way longer. I felt like there was a way more treading water, even within the few little, like, you know, the, the Carrie Ann Moss plot line. Well, there's no momentum, right? Yeah. Because there's so much shifting from storyline to storyline. Well, there's no momentum. Relatively speaking, I I think a lot of it for me is feeling like it feeling like I'm investing less time overall is because I'm so used to, you know, shows going, hey, we've got a new 45 minute show that's going to have 22 episodes a season. And I'm like, all right, I'll try the first few of them and I'll go, oh, God, I can't I can't do this anymore. And it feels like a blessing to to know that I am at maximum only going to be trudging through a certain amount of stuff like, you know, Timeless on NBC. I think I ended up just putting on and half watching in the background and barely paying attention to. And the only reason that I stuck with it was because I didn't really have to pay a whole lot of attention to it. But a show like this that I have to pay more attention to, I'm 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 willing to give eight episodes worth of time to it than even take a chance on most 22 episode shows. And and the ambition of it keeps me around too. the idea that like this is a show that is actually trying to explore complicated issues of what does it mean to be human? What, you know, what, what would be the impact of these synths on, uh, on culture and society? What would it mean if there was a second intelligent species on our planet and how would we treat them? And would we be, be fair to them or would we be cruel to them? I mean, these are big ideas. And I think that I cut the show slack because I like to see a TV show that dares to explore those big ideas, even if it is kind of fumbling around and confused and stuff too much in the bag, which it totally did. Well, the, the Toby and and uh, and, uh, and Rini thing where she hands over her adult options, 18 plus, you know, scratch off ticket to her sexual agency and just like gives it to him. I, I, I was like, oh, good. He's rejecting this. And but then the way that that played out was very perfunctory. Toby's a good guy. And this is him showing that he's a good guy. He's going to make good guy decisions. And it's just kind of left there and I don't know that they're going to pick it up and do anything with it necessarily. It, it was just like, Hey, yeah, this is something that we had on a note card in a shoebox, and we're going to, we're going to burn this one off. Cause Hey, we got it to burn off. So why not? Toby and Sophie need to go away to camp or uh, yeah. live, go live in the country during the blitz. Because they need to they're... go wherever the, the one sister on family matters went upstairs and never returned from for just a little while, just a little while in season three, Joe has taken, uh, Toby and Soph uh, to the synth-free community, <laughs> and we don't see them. Right. They just stay there for the whole season, and the people who we care about actually get stuff done. Yeah, exactly right. That that just... Yeah, they've, they've buried all three of those characters in a point of no return for me, where I it would take a significant amount of rolling uphill to even get me interested in them anymore. Yeah. So speaking of season three, I'm thinking about uh, where you can go. And what you said, Jason, about the show is that it really is classic sci-fi. Let's take a, a science-based premise and use it to, you know, uh, put up a mirror to society and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, with all the synths awake, you have many directions that you can go in season three. The one that they probably won't go in because it costs too much money 
is all-out human robot war. Right. Which would be awesome, but this is not <laughs> the budget of the show does not support a all-out human robot war, unfortunately. But so, I got good news. They got they got they got money for wigs and contact lenses. <laughs> That's right, and 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 suburban house sets. Yeah, gardens uh, and, and and office buildings. Yep. And sometimes green fields. Uh-huh. And, uh, Dude, maybe a forest so, or two. so many corridors. If you love corridors, this is your show. Yep. Yeah. I mean, many that, corridors. That, that's the thing about these shows. Like, I, I'm, I'm, you know, bringing two other shows that are similar sci-fi premise and similar like budgets. You know, a Colony and Travelers. They they do so much with so little money. Yeah. Like two really ambitious broad sci-fi premises, and it's like lots of interiors and people in clothes and talking. Like, and you know, it works to varying degrees. But for for season three with this show. You can do, you can decide what, you know, what is your analogy here? Like, in, in the same way, I think one of the shows that did this uh, the best was uh, the good parts of Battlestar Galactica as a reflection on the Iraq War. Yeah. Right? Like, that was so timely and, and you know, perfect and a great use of sci-fi to talk about something without talking about it. Without talking about it. So, season three, they could do... They could do uh, apartheid. They could do, you know, racism. They could you know, do Brexit. Uh, season three is the Brexit season. That's right. They could do Brexit. They 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 could, they have so many different choices. They could, you know, if, if they want to redeem themselves, they could do like homosexuality. Like there are so many analogies to having suddenly this, uh, this group of others. But are they really that other type of thing? They can go in so many different directions. That and all of those things do not require big budgets. It just requires like people talking and having feelings and and people holding protest signs and being angry. Um, and so I think, d- despite the fact that I thought, like, if if they all wake up, oh, that, that's the season over. They've done enough establishment that the that the, the synths are not, they're not, uh, Skynet would, would, would be disappointed in them. They're, yes. They're bad. They are bad at exterminating humans. They're just pretty lousy. Uh, and in the end, they probably just mostly want to live. So I feel like you have to go more of a, a District 9 direction or something like that, only with less gore. Um, and, and, yeah. And so I'm kind of looking forward to them doing that in season three, as long as they get rid of the characters I don't care about. Right. Integration kind of issues of issues of racism and integrating two cultures. And I was actually going to throw out, it's a little like um, German reunification kind of thing where it's like, okay, as a culture, we've decided to put these two cultures together and there's going to be a lot of bad feelings and there's going to be a lot of frustration. And how do we make this work together? Because they've just been, or like alienation, maybe a little bit where. Yeah. That kind of paranoia (laughs) stuff that you get from alienation. Like I could see that really working where season two, a lot of, a lot of the stuff that kept me uh kept waking me up as i was kind of starting to get bored of the wheel spinning was where it turned into a slasher movie sort of um and and if if we can get some kind of like follow the berlin wall end of the cold oh, war karen's as, got a new partner were. and they're solving synth crimes <laughs> yeah they solve synth crimes uh, the, the other way you can go with this is uh is uh, again i haven't read the comic books i've just seen the one not so great movie but sort of x-men sentinels type thing because if we, if we take at face value the sort of general docileness of most synths uh, the what would actually happen i feel like in this scenario is that humans would kill all synths pretty put darn them in, quickly put them in camps with the, not to put them in camps. They would just kill them well, like you kill the dodo birds. Like, they would just, like, let, we're going to kill them in the same way the Sentinels are killing all the mutants. Isn't that what they were doing? They're yeah, but wouldn't that be interesting, though, if then you had people pretending to be synths, so they've got the contact lenses in, and you've got maybe synths pretending well, to be humans yeah, and it, putting it, in contact lenses? It's going to be lenses. even less attractive to pretend to be a synth when they're, when they're being exterminated, right. and, you know. But you could have, you have like, confusion where people are killing synths that turn out to be people, and there are people that look like people but are actually synths, and it yeah. could be very complicated. But but that but that would, like, that would end season three prematurely. But I feel like that with things established as they are uh humans are really really good at killing other species that are competing for them with them in any possible way right like that's how we get to be at the top of the food chain and we kill everything else and so it's yeah. like suddenly there's another sentient race and before you get the sentence out of your mouth humans have killed everything they've killed <laughs> all the wolves yeah. they've killed they're gonna kill like if you are remotely a threat to us we will kill you all we're really good at it we have all the weapons and you are generally docile and just waking up right but that would end things real quickly unless you wanted to do a scenario where the sentinel slash humans have killed all the sins and there's like seven of them left in there and hiding and that's what the show is but i don't think they're going to do that either well we'll find out with the next season when it airs probably like next week on channel four in the uk and then in a year and a half on on amc because that's what happened this i wonder time. if they'll put the more of them on trials because really like that it would be a natural thing to happen in season three for the, the direction they're probably going to go in terms of like are you a human or are you a citizen or yeah, whatever the office like, the office of synth crime i hope it's not and, uh, so bad a trial as those last the bad yeah, well that's what i'm saying like they oh, get yeah. they get another shot at it it's like we can you know let's get a new group of writers in who has read a science fiction book in their life 
<laughs> or watch a Star Trek episode and say, we can do that better, we feel like, so... Let's see what we can do there. Yeah, um, yeah. because they Long can't go all you know. Victims unit. <laughs> they can't go all the way to alienation because alienation would be like season five of this show, where it's like, yeah. all right, well, we've accepted that they're here, but it's an uneasy tension between the groups. Unless and, like, they do a time jump, like, which they could, yeah, if they want yeah, to. I suppose they, uh, they don't like salt water. You know. Oh, here's the other <laughs> thing. The same thing again. But as my mind works away at all the things that don't make sense about the premise of the show, aside from the fact that if the tech <laughs> exists to do sense, so much other awesome tech would exist, but apparently doesn't. Is the idea that they charge themselves? They show it a lot in the program. Yeah, like they got a little Apple Watch charge. charger on on their uh, on their side. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's an important thing, and like Karen, you know, lets herself discharge, and the kid saves her. Like it's, it's a plot point, and is a mechanic that, that, that they lean on, right? And I feel like, you know, the same reason Sense would be killed by like the damn dodo birds is Sense, especially Niska and stuff, and the people who've got their stuff together. If you don't know how to produce electricity, like every sense, like you are completely reliant on these magic plugs and human beings running power plants for you to give your electricity. Sense needs to know how to generate electricity because it literally keeps them alive. It's like humans not knowing how to breathe and, and like, you know, something else breathing for them. We opened the second season with with a synth and a coal mine, so I mean, they're they're doing all the manual labor side of things. I know, but like, do they understand how electricity works? Do they know, like, if they killed all the humans, would they be like, we killed all the humans, but then I put this plug in the wall to charge myself at night, and it's not working. I guess I'm going to be dead by morning. Like, it seems like a really important, like, prime directive of, like, figure out how to get food, essentially, or you're all going to die, that every sense should be really super-duper concerned about a source of electricity, so much so that they're paranoid about, you know, why we go hang out in the woods? I need to plug in every night, or I'm going to literally die. Um, so I, I, I feel like that's, if I was a synth, that would be my number one concern, which is like, if we kill all the humans, do you know how to make electricity or because does it just come out of the wall magically? Because if we don't do anything, it will stop coming out of the wall. Then we'll all be dead. Yeah. I'm overthinking it. Yeah. There, there's a bit of hand wavium of, of all of the synths having some central repository of knowledge where between all of them, I guess they all know how to run society perfectly on their own. I guess maybe, uh, maybe yeah, because they they fill they fill all the different roles and they feel like we'll just slot right into the same slots we were in before and, and yeah. you know we'll pick up where they left off as long as we don't break all their stuff. It, it that that's that's somewhat plausible though. You can like trying to gauge what sense know. Yeah, well, the, again, that, like, that's that's the hand game part of it is yeah, it just it works. It just works. It's fine. Well, we'll find out for season three at some point. <laughs> uh, who knows when on BBC Channel Four and AMC. But uh, and we'll be back to talk about it then. But until then, I want to thank my guests for talking about this show with me. Moises Chion, thank you. Thank you, Jason. Let me know if I can be of further assistance. <laughs> and John Syracuse, thank you. Forgot to mention the Robo Run. Just everyone picture it now. Run with your arms really stiff. All right. Run, We're going to run, run like away. A penguin with your arse on fire. And maybe all the synths are now waking up. Cliffhanger. This has been The Incomparable. I've been Jason Snell. We'll see you next time. Oh.